Hello everyone and welcome to Shot Reverse Shot. I'm Ed Davis. Matt Risby is currently on assignment, which is a, a nice term for saying that he's on holiday. <laughs> uh, and But I'm joined this week by a guest to take Matt's place. Uh, and that guest is John Hunter. Hi John, how are you? Hi Ed, I'm good, thank you very much. Yourself? Uh, I'm very, very well. It's weird recording this during the day as opposed to the usual Shot Reverse Shot method, which is in the middle of the evening when both of us are very tired so excellent yeah sorry time difference allowing so it's a, a lovely sunny afternoon for me not for you i should think <laughs> uh, yeah it's actually very overcast it's very english today which is which is weird oh okay <laughs> a little bit of home brilliant <laughs> yeah uh, so john you are a writer and a playwright who uh, i've been friends with for about seven or eight years at this point because we both worked at the showroom cinema at the same time as yeah anyone artistically inclined in Sheffield <laughs> ends up doing it seems and I think we were the exception by being the only two people who weren't in a band though I think <laughs> so that's, that's yeah that's probably true that's probably why we clustered together in the corner to actually talk about films <laughs> so. yeah to talk about films and the work of Aaron Sorkin a lot yeah yeah <laughs> happy times I think we went to someone's gig once and then we ended up spending an hour outside talking about the West Wing <laughs> Yes, that was yeah. <laughs> Actually, I remember that. And then, but then you had to bundle me into a cab. But that's probably less about. <laughs> I, if I remember the end of that evening, just about. <laughs> so. Well, you know, Sorkin's was very intoxicating in their own in their own way. Um, <laughs> that's it. It was purely the Sorkin. That's right. <laughs> but uh, so yeah, you you work a lot with uh, Slunglow Theatre, who do a lot of work in in Sheffield. Uh, would you just like to talk about the work that you have have done in the past? Yes, yeah, certainly. So, uh, yes, yeah, so I work with the Slunglow Theatre Company uh, quite a lot. So we've done uh, shows in London and uh, at the Lowry and and basically all over England. Uh, they basically specialise in shows, uh, sort of immersive shows where the audience are actually part of the show, not so much in they get dragged on stage as such as, as in that horrible way that we all dread, but more that the audience uh, actually get to play a role in sort of bearing witness or exploring uh, a territory that's... Uh, filled with stories and actually maybe sometimes shape its outcome as well. Um, so I also work as a script reader and script editor, so which is more in the film and TV world of things as well. So um, sort of it's it's a nice angle to sort of come at stories from from different different directions as a writer and as a developer and also the different mediums of theatre and film. So it's, uh, so which I guess usually means that everything I write up usually falls somewhere in the middle. <laughs> so <laughs> not pleasing any audience. <laughs> so. Yeah, it's, I've I've unfortunately never been able to go to a Slunglow theatre show, but I'm glad that you said it wasn't immersive in the sense of forcing people to take part because I think my two great nightmares for many years are going to a show like that and being forced to go on stage or being challenged in a rap battle because <laughs> I know I would I would not do well in either of those. Well, uh, let's see if we can combine those. So at least you only have the one nightmare to worry about. So, <laughs> no, well, I think uh, it's like the biggest show I've I've done with Slunglow. Uh, we went to um, the Singapore Arts Festival, and so it's more along the lines of the entire audience were the entire society um, surviving members of humanity after a vampire apocalypse, and uh, the actors there played sort of um, sort of survivor leaders who each had very different ideas about what we should do next to face the oncoming storm. 
as it were. So no one had to stand in front of anybody else, but you had to be sort of fought over and actually like you were uh, props and you were the destiny of humanity. <laughs> so, uh, so yes, but no one had to rap. Uh, maybe, maybe that would have been the uh, maybe that would have been the best way that easily confounds vampires i feel <laughs> <laughs> yeah in all of the Anne rice books and everything like that the stats not going to public enemy shows or anything like that no i mean he was in a band at one point wasn't he but uh <laughs> did his uh, spectacular leaps and everything without <laughs> needing wires but uh, yeah but i don't think i think yeah casting tom cruise was controversial enough i think eminem would be a step too far <laughs> <laughs> Potentially. Uh, I don't know. I'd have to see the script first. <laughs> so. Yeah, anything can work. It's just, you know, how, how, it, how it gets put across <laughs> on screen. Yeah, I think uh, David Fincher could probably pull it off, I'm sure. <laughs> so. Oh, yeah. Fincher, Fincher can do pretty much anything uh, except kind of soppy romances about Brad Pitt aging, really ba- uh, re- aging backwards. <laughs> I don't know. The rom-com bit in uh, Gone Girl was pretty nice. <laughs> so. And we yeah. all... We sp- Spot Brad Pitt in the background, just slowly getting younger. Just, uh, just <laughs> blink and you miss him. <laughs> this episode, we're talking about uh, Star Trek, because Star Trek is 50 years old. There's a new film out, Star Trek Beyond. And also there is a new TV series in development, Star Trek Discovery, which mm. has the unfortunate acronym of STD, which uh, <laughs> everyone has made jokes about, but I still find very, very funny that that's what they've gone for. Uh, and knowing that Brian Fuller's behind it, I have to assume that it was intentional because he's got yeah. a very <laughs> impish sense I, of I did see that that, uh, that they were trying to give it, I think it was, um, they were trying to make it SDSC or something like that. They were trying to come up with a different sort of little uh, acronym for it. But, uh, but yeah, I think you're right. I think Brian Fuller knew exactly what he was doing. <laughs> That's the only reason this show exists at all is because he thought of a cheeky bit of wordplay for the internet. <laughs> and then, oh, crap. Now we need to think of something with spaceships to go with it. <laughs> but, uh, but no, I think I, I am actually really excited about uh, about a new series, especially with Brian Fuller uh, in charge, I think. So, yeah. Yeah, so we'll we'll, uh, we'll get to that for the moment. But first, let's talk about Star Trek Beyond, which is directed by Justin Lin. is the third instalment in the revamped new timeline where they went back in time and just explained why the characters are all the same, but everything's entirely different apart from that. Uh, you've seen it. I wasn't able to because I've just had a hellish work week. Yeah. Um, but well, I saw uh, it twice. If that helps, <laughs> so it balances yeah. it out. <laughs> yeah, on on average, we've got we've seen it once each. Yeah. <laughs> uh, in the same way that if I stood next to Michael Phelps, I could say I've won twelve and a half gold medals, uh, eleven and a half gold medals. Um, Congratulations, Ed! <laughs> I know it's it's really quite impressive considering I haven't been in a pool in about three years. Um, but uh, you, you, as I said, you've seen uh, Star Trek Beyond. What did you think of it, and how do you think it compared to the previous installments, two thousand and nine's Star Trek and two thousand and thirteen's Star Trek Into Darkness? Uh, well, in short, I, I guess the fact that I've seen it twice is pretty much my review of just that I did definitely enjoyed it. It was mm-hmm. um, it's definitely probably one of the more fun films of this summer. Listening to your uh, other episodes about the 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 slighter state of blockbusters that we've had this year, I think which I I think I agree. I think I don't know that uh, Star Trek Beyond is a is a, a mammoth epic entry for the ages, but it was definitely a good film that I really enjoyed watching. Um, Comparing it to the others, um, I think it's 
Um, actually, I've worked out uh, my list of all of the Star Trek films in order of my favourites, uh, and Star Trek Beyond is exactly seventh, so it's exactly in the middle of the thirteen <laughs> that have been made. So I guess it's it's pretty it's so it's just, it's right in the middle of uh, some of the things that are the best and uh, perhaps the slightly more frustrating things about it. But equally, I think it sits uh, between two thousand nine Star Trek and Star Trek Into Darkness as well so it's <laughs> it's uh, I don't want to make it sound like it's middling because I really enjoyed it but uh, but yeah but it's it's um, if if uh, it's not three star hokum it's five star three star hokum <laughs> I mm. guess is the thing but no it's it's very fun it is like a you've probably seen reviews saying it's like a feature length episode which I mm. agree with but I but I think whereas some people can say that as a slight slur, I mean that as a very, very high compliment. So I think uh, they've nailed a really fun tone. And what I'd also forgotten was with the um, aspects of Robert Orsi's version of the film uh, coming to an end uh, for whatever reason that I'm sure we'll hear about in time. Uh, the other thing is that this film was made with the fixed release date, so they actually wrote it on the hoof, pretty much. So the fact that it's good at all, I think, is actually pretty miraculous, and the fact that it's very good is uh, actually something special. So I think it's my general review. Yeah, I feel like Robert Orsi is still writing Into Darkness three years later. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't quite hold together, that one. No, it's... Uh, and Again, that's a film that had so many aspects that I liked. I still think the opening five minutes of Into Darkness, where they're just uh, sort of goofing around on one of their missions on the other planet, if you recall it, and mm. uh, just inadvertently trying... They're trying to save everybody, but messing up the Prime Directive. I still think that that's probably my favourite moment of uh, the new three films, uh, uh, just, just for the sheer fun and seeing the team work together. But uh, I'd say that, uh, this film is more in tone with the first five minutes of Into Darkness than uh, than maybe at the end of it, where everybody's uh, sort of taking their turns to imitate the Wrath of Khan. <laughs> mm. Not that there's anything wrong with that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, well, I was I was going to say that that was something that, I, that a lot of the reviews that I've read said that I found to be really enticing is that it does seem to offer the cast more opportunities to spark off of each other. Because that was the thing with the 2009 Star Trek was they assembled an amazing cast of hugely charismatic actors. And you thought, oh, it'll be great once they've got all of the plot machinations out of the way and they've established the world to see a film where you just let all of these characters play off of each other. And then the second yeah. film was completely derailed by having to reintroduce Khan and being weirdly involved in all of its conspiracy vaguely 9-11 truth uh, <laughs> undercurrent stuff going on in the background that you never yes. really got any of that opportunity i think yeah the first film set up that i mean what i love about 2009's one is just simply how every person who's a captain in that film is awesome <laughs> whereas mm. whether it's pike uh or uh the captain of the kelvin whose name i forget but uh, or and then even chris pine briefly as george kirk for his nine minutes of captaincy everyone's <laughs> awesome whereas into darkness ultimately turns out that everyone in the federation's a bit dodgy <laughs> which kind of isn't really what i was after but uh, i mean it was just one bad apple and it was robocop so that's fine but uh, but uh, i think this this film definitely it splits up the characters when they're stranded on a planet i don't think that's spoiling anything but that's not in the trailers but you get some interesting pairings of um, kirk and chekhov which is nice i don't think i've ever really seen them have a particular scene together across the franchise generally uh sort of it, it just sort of to any great degree you've got spock and mccoy who are 
uh, well, two very, very funny actors and some very, very funny writing and scenes there, as well as uh, some good exposition. I would say that McCoy possibly has the best joke in the entire franchise in this film, which is uh, which is very good, considering uh, he, there was even a point where Carl Urban wasn't going to come back for this one, so very wow. glad he did. Jailer, uh, the new character, uh, new alien, by, uh, played by Sophia Patel, sort of teams up with Scotty, and actually... The way she's featured in the marketing, you kind of figured she might sort of be some sort of Darth Maul. Oh, she's got an interesting uh, makeup job for a face, and then she's not really <laughs> in it or something. It's a really, really valuable and funny and interesting character that is actually, in many ways, the kind of the inverse of uh, Kral, the uh, the baddie, um, but without that becoming some sort of heavy-handed, you know, sort of reversed metaphor or anything. So uh, she'd be a welcome addition if she came back for future films, I think, from my point of view. Oh, great. And one of the things I thought was also quite interesting was this one was co-written by Simon Pegg, who famously once wrote in space that every uh, even odd-numbered Star Trek movie is shit. And this is a odd-numbered one, I believe. So do you think he has been able to break his own his own curse? Definitely. I think, yeah, this is uh, by far one of the... Well, I mean... In general, maybe we'll get to this later, but I, I have a soft spot for many of the odd-numbered films. But uh, <laughs> I do think that this is a, a very good one, and I could feel that the pressure was probably on him, not just in general, but having been hoisted by his own petard to a certain extent. And there is even a little spaced reference uh, with uh, Kirk giving it a uh, skip to the end, uh, <laughs> just, uh, which is uh, I kind of feel was him high-fiving himself back from when he wrote about the odd-numbered Star Trek films in space. So I think um, he's done a good job across the whole film, him and Doug Young, but I also think he didn't fall into the trap of writing himself all the best bits or writing himself out of the film, which I would imagine would also be tempting. So uh, keeping it balanced that uh, Scotty is still an integral part of the film and a, and a good fun one. So uh, I think uh, one of my favourite bits in the trailers was, uh, you know, a nice action set piece where... Um, Scotty sort of jumps out of a space pod that's about to fall off a cliff. You know, standard sort of sci-fi action <laughs> fare, but he still does it whilst pulling a funny face. So it's still very much <laughs> Simon Pegg Scotty. You know? So I just think that's what makes him different than Kirk. <laughs> so they kept that the same. And you said that it's not, uh, there's not a kind of a preachy metaphor at the centre of it, which is quite, I always find interesting when Star Trek doesn't have that because at least in its initial conception, that was, it's, kind of raison d'etre in the the 1960s tv series was a big part of it was gene roddenberry wanted to make a show where he could explore different societal issues and uh, through parable and metaphor in a way that was acceptable to kind of a big broad american audience that probably wouldn't have certainly in certain areas of america at the time wouldn't have put up with that in a straightforward drama Certainly. I mean, yeah, it's not that the film is without its, um, you know, sort of messages and, and it's generally about uh, the purpose of, I mean, the, I would say the big arc in the film, which is perhaps actually uh, not necessarily one of the stronger aspects, is Kirk sort of losing and then finding his faith in his five-year mission and what he's actually doing. So it's actually just, yeah, not losing yourself in your purpose, not letting stuff become automatic and uh, sort of rote. Um, but uh, it's not to say there isn't a bit of, uh, sort of you know the, the a good amount of message but to simply i think a lot of that comes through char needing a character arc in a film generally but there's mm. no uh sort of overt uh you know 
Beware the Space Irish or some of the things that were <laughs> the uh, the guiltier original series episodes might have been a bit more heavy handed with. We are, yeah, so I think it's they found a good balance of making it an action summer blockbuster uh, as well as it being a nice character driven film. I'd say that's the, the stronger aspect of it is uh, trust finding and then trusting and then you know, being able to lean into your crew, whoever that is. And even if it's the people such as Jailer, who you haven't actually met before. It's uh, r- recognising your own out and about uh, all into the deep, dark reaches of space. But I think, um, I mean, yeah, I think you're right. That's definitely Gene Roddenberry's original intent. I think it's, I was thinking about this, that Star Trek seems to be the perfect midpoint between Star Wars and, say, 2001 A Space Odyssey. So you've mm-hmm. kind of got the fantasy kind of, uh, you know, space westerns and so on. And then you've got the... Uh, and then you've got what is essentially a a, a glorious art house uh, thing. So hopefully, uh, hopefully, Star Trek for me is the uh, the perfect mid middle brow midpoint between that for which is probably where you'll find me residing anywhere. So I'm not that clever, but I'm not that dumb either. So you know, <laughs> just want something in the middle. <laughs> they go, ooh, laser beams, funny faces. Oh yeah, deep message, profound, nice. <laughs> I go home. <laughs> Yeah, I think that's interesting if you were to chart the TV, the various TV series and also the films is they do exist on that XY axis and you can kind mm. of say, okay, the Abrams ones are more to the Star Wars side of things to the extent that he seemed to be doing those two films as an audition piece for directing yes. <laughs> The Force Awakens uh, in a major way. Or, uh, But then also if you look at something like The Motion Picture, which is about as f- close to the 2001 mould as they ever got because it's a very slowly paced movie that at various points has like spock going essentially through a stargate sequence where there's flashing lights and everything and i I do find it interesting that it does have that reputation for being either super cerebral or super kind of pulpy like i always think whenever i think of the original series which is probably the one i've seen that and enterprise the two i've seen the least of over the over the years but one of the things i most remember is an episode where they go back in time to earth and then the entire final act just seems to be involve william shatner throwing himself at people Uh, and it's just (laughs) it's just a very unique style of fighting which seems to be just lunging at people and knocking down two or three people at once and then getting up and punching them on the ground uh which is not as metaphor driven as some of the other stuff but it's it's all interesting how that axis or or that kind of spectrum was kind of inbuilt from the beginning because there are some episodes of the original series that are very heavy on metaphor and they are very cerebral and then there are ones that are kind of pure pulp and just like we're in space there's aliens we're just going to try, try and survive this episode yes i think well funny you should mention that that original series episode uh shatner throwing himself at people all ad-libbed i'm pretty sure <laughs> if i read the production notes just just one of the things he brings his unique style to the show what if i threw myself at the supporting players well all right bill fine let's see how it works out but uh no i, th- I think the uh the axis of star trek it's I mean, for me, I don't think, and I'm sure everyone has a different line on it, but uh, I think the best thing for me is not when it's one or the other, but when it's the perfect mix of both. I think that's uh, the perhaps where where it has the, uh, the the metaphor, but also the action and the fun, essentially. I mean, one of the lines in the new film is actually giant green space hand. So it's uh, <laughs> you want that. <laughs> there's, there's no reason that it can't be fun. And it is a visual show as well. It's not a, uh, a series of novels or anything. It's, uh, it's something that, that's always been colourful and fun and welcoming, even if 
you're being welcomed into a friendly family that then go to scary places. So it's it's always been the mix of both that I think's appealed for me and and it's 50 years old so it's clearly appealed to a few other people i don't know <laughs> yeah it definitely seems to have the, the longevity of the show seems to exist in its ability to calibrate between all of those various those various extremes uh going yeah. from a, sh- a show that barely made it to three seasons to like you say something that is th- 13 movies deep and four or five tv series depending on whether or not you count the animated series and a mm. new one on the way it's it's got a longevity that you don't see from say like the outer limits or the twilight zone which are on tv at the same time yeah and actually yeah and it shared some of the writers as well it's so it mm. wasn't that that was the difference of richard matheson writing for both both shows and uh so I think yeah, it's it's so it's nothing to do with the quality. Is that sometimes things take hold? Not that the Twilight Zone isn't revered and remembered, but uh, I think it's the difference, obviously, between the Twilight Zone, um, which also had William Shatner in it. Come to think of it as well, several <laughs> several of my favorite episodes. But I think it's also while it's the world and the universe of it, as well as the metaphors, it's also the characters that I think have just stuck with people. So uh, as as much as anything, and and maybe even just the Enterprise itself. It's a weird looking spaceship, but it's the kind of <laughs> spaceship that feels like it it probably is practical in some way because it doesn't look like something you'd design as a kid, <laughs> which is a triangle with lasers coming out the back or something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it certainly has that iconic quality and and it's a wonderful setting for like, you know, all of the the parables and the metaphors and the space battles. You know, it can handle all those things. I think that's why growing up i always used to love the next generation because that was the one that really because it had uh, uh patrick stewart uh, as john luke picard it was a show that just in, had a certain gravitas and weight to it yes uh, you know he, he and uh, obviously in the films he would eventually become kind of an action hero where he was swinging on rafters and punching people in the face and stuff which always seemed a little odd but on the show he was he was someone who just came across as someone who was deeply empathetic and intellectual and really committed to his mission even if it would end up getting people killed you know he was trying to do the right thing and i feel like that was what appealed is that you did have space battles where ships were firing phases at lasers at each other but then you also had you know scenes of just him sitting on a chair thinking pensively and then talking through his process to Riker or wesley or whoever was kind of questioning him and trying to make him do the right thing even if it was not the most prudent thing like your go-to example of who he'd be talking to there was Riker or wesley <laughs> <So>. <laughs> yes maybe he'd just tell wesley what he was gonna do <laughs> and then say any yeah. problems with that mr crusher and then, <laughs> and then just walk out the room dropping the mic on his way yeah i think uh, well, i say we're similar age so i think yeah growing up with next generation was very much the uh, a sort of it was definitely escape and something you could come home from school to. And, uh, and of course, the Enterprise uh, in Next Generation had families on board as well, which mm. uh, the original series Enterprise didn't. So they actually, it seemed like a place where you could genuinely go and live. And, uh, and maybe, maybe even I wanted to do that. <laughs> that would be cool. <laughs> Mainly because there was a bar run by Whoopi Goldberg, maybe. <laughs> but uh, that, that would be cool. <laughs> so. Yeah, that was, uh, I think one thing that's interesting across both of those, even though those two shows existed 20 years apart, somehow they looked out in the casting in both, in that the first 
show they had this amazing collection of actors who were for the large part kind of character actors who hadn't really done much to be that famous or, or to get them that much acclaim and then they all became icons who were saddled with the show for the rest of their lives or embraced it you know some some embraced it more fully than others over the course of the over the years uh and then the same thing happened with the next generation is they aligned all these people who just had wonderful chemistry with each other and just seemed to genuinely enjoy spending time with each other on set and i think that that warmth which is something i i associate with the best tv shows when you get the sense that everyone really enjoys being there is i think a, a key part to why those shows were really successful Absolutely. I think we've just bought the Next Generation box set uh, on Blu-ray, so which not only looks gorgeous with all its uh, repackaged graphics and uh, and just generally the, how they've remastered the, the episodes, but the new special features are uh, the cast sort of retroactively, or retrospectively rather, talking about it and the writers and the producers. So people like Ronald D. Moore, who've gone on and done Battlestar Galactica since and uh, and so on. So they're, they're talking about it warmly, but not not just gushing about it. They are critically reappraising their own work and what did and didn't work. But I think there's that's nice where there's kind of a love there that that you can actually be honest with yourself about the things that didn't work and even the relationships that didn't work in there. And there does definitely does seem to be a a strange shift for uh, where Gene Roddenberry uh, himself was not necessarily the most positive factor on uh, Next Generation in its early years. Yeah, I, I've uh, just picked up a... There's an oral history of, of Star Trek that's just come out called The 50-Year Mission, and I started reading oh, yeah. it in preparation... I started reading it in preparation for this, and that has, uh, certainly in the parts I've read so far, which are mainly about the original series, that same tone comes through, is it's people... On the one hand, they're saying, yeah, it was a disaster because we made this pilot and it got rejected, so they made to make a second pilot, and then the first pilot got chopped up and turned into another episode, and it was very difficult, and the show didn't do so well, and we nearly got cancelled, and it was you know very very difficult, and Gene was uh, kind of a genius, but also was sometimes very difficult to work with. Uh, but at the same time, they're all saying, you know, we really feel as if because uh, it's got an introduction by Seth MacFarlane, who obviously is a big Star Trek fan and was on yeah. Enterprise on one episode. Uh, and he talks about saying that it was a show that genuinely improved humanity in some way because of the positive message it put out and the way that it inspired people. And uh, it's really nice to see that even when people are talking about things going horribly wrong and being difficult, they can also say, yeah, but this thing, it was really, really important to me. And I think it's genuinely important for the world. Yeah, there's a reason that they kept trying, even though it was hard, because they knew there was something mm. at the heart of it that uh, actually made them all want to crack on with it. I remember there was a documentary, it might even have been for the 40th anniversary of Star Trek or something a few years ago on BBC Two. They were speaking to loads of people who worked on at NASA and uh, sort of JPL and places like that who wouldn't have even thought to study science had they not uh, grown up watching Star Trek and things. So all these these people who genuinely have changed the world and advanced technology did it because of a TV show with blinking lights and Shatner throwing himself at various supporting members <laughs> of the cast. So it's, uh, so I think whatever it was, there was definitely something in there that's uh, just, I don't know, given it a, yeah, just this, this had a bit of a look forward as to what uh, might be, uh, oh, no. <laughs> who knows what it is at the heart of Star Trek, I don't know. <laughs> so, yeah, I just think there's something in there that clearly audiences and the people who actually worked on the show, it was more than a TV show and more than a job for people as well, I think. 
and and I also think there is there's a great importance to seeing like George Takei in it and Nichelle Nichols as two people who weren't like white men or or white women who obviously mm. are a huge part of the television landscape at that point and to this day. And if you, I remember reading a quote from Whoopi Goldberg recently recently where she talked about watching an episode of Star Trek and seeing. Uh, Nichelle Nichols, you know, who are at the at the comms desk and everything like that, and running in to show her mother, there's a you know there's a black lady on TV and she's not a maid, and yeah. saying like that's a huge that's a huge that was a huge moment for her that inspired her to like pursue acting because she could see that oh it's not you know you don't have to just be a servant or whatever you know have to be this kind of marginalized and unimportant character. I know her is not like the main focus of the of the early show but i think there is something there was something hugely important about you know seeing that people being able to see people like them on television and inspiring them so it wasn't just people watched it and they decided to become astronauts and scientists it was literally like oh wow i i matter because there are people like me appearing on television absolutely yeah so yeah not just technology technologically but just culturally it's just so important of actually just seeing mm. people working together i mean still well yeah as you say uhura is not necessarily the most prominent uh character in the original series but you just look at the original series and you can still see a more diverse cast than a lot of the shows that are on now 50 years later which just seems ridiculous and disappointing so mm. it's not that uh Star Trek was ahead of its time, just simply that a lot of the stuff we've got now is behind, I think, isn't it, really? So I think maybe that's what we've sort of hoped Star Trek would uh, sort of keep driving forwards. Yeah, I think also something that's that's very striking to me about the originals and most of the various different incarnations is the the positivity of Star Trek. It does have a hope for the future and a hope for humanity that is rare in most cases especially i think it was probably especially rare in the 1960s when you were three years out or four years out from the cuban missile crisis and there was the constant threat of war and america Mm. was fraying at the seams and you know all of these things were going on culturally that would have made it very easy to make a show that was very pessimistic and and even though I guess you could say it's kind of a naivete about it all and, and the idea that in 200 years time uh, humanity will have overcome its fear of of the other and of each other and you know sexism will be gone and all of these things but i th- I do find it uh increasingly bracing to see a show that takes place in the future and assumes that you know things may be difficult but you know we will we'll more or less muddle through and eventually everything will be all right yeah i think there's there's a it, it how how you are and how a society is is also sort of not necessarily influenced or controlled but certainly uh, sort of had had an effect on it by its sort of the culture and its pop culture i mean i know a lot of people you know it's been quite a year really hasn't it in all sorts of aspects so uh, it's um, a lot of people they don't watch the news in the morning they they wait for the evening because they know that watching the news of the mo- of a morning will just uh, negatively impact their day so uh, it's more mm. then more rather read a bit of a book that they're enjoying that will actually send them on their way into the day to face it a bit more optimistically rather than knowing already that we're all doomed by the time you get into the shower yeah i think you're uh you're right about the the not reading the news in the morning because i have done that a lot in the past and i i like this morning i woke up and i checked my phone and the first thing was like 
riots in Milwaukee and is like, I'm going to stop looking at my phone when I wake up first thing in the morning. <laughs> it's a bit much before you've had anything to eat or drink just to be yeah. like lying in bed looking at your phone and thinking, oh God, people are setting cars on fire. Yeah. And it's, I don't, and I don't think, I mean, I think that's again, the, the brilliance of Star Trek and, and sort of genre stuff generally, that it can actually turn the stuff that you do need to process that's going on in the world and stuff that it's thinking about, but you might not necessarily want to sit down and tackle those issues. You just want to go and see what Spock's up to this week. But then in turn, you are actually sort of processing and thinking about things. And if Star Trek does have an agenda or if TV shows do have an agenda or, you know, the moral at the end of the episode or so on, it's usually a more optimistic and hopeful or actually progressive one than even many of our sort of news outlets or uh, or things. There's, there's a, a very different agenda that's actually... Uh, you know if if it, it is not trying to buy us or sell to us using fear is it which i think uh even even something like battlestar galactica which was far more a uh, sort of oppressive and uh sort of atmospheric in its negativity was still actually quite a positive and hopeful show so i just think that's the that's the fun of it and also that necessarily tv shows they don't they they don't um tv series drama series they don't actually want to be the news or take on uh, anything in that way that's not their role and not what we want them for but it's they can't help but reflect the times that they've written in i guess yeah i think it's it's interesting you mentioned battlestar because i was thinking last night you know because uh, we were talking earlier about there's a new series being run by brian fuller who's probably the most exciting writer on tv in the moment you know he did stuff like pushing daisies and most recently hannibal which was a show that i greatly enjoyed even though it often left me with uh uncomfortable feelings about the notions of eating human flesh Be- because you know <laughs> you watch him do it you think that actually does look very tasty but also wrong um <laughs> uh, and i was trying to think you know what would be my ideal version of what star trek discovery would be and it ended up being quite close to Battlestar Galactica but a slightly more upbeat version because I was thinking it'd be nice to have one that reflects what's going on now in the way that Battlestar reflected what was going on in kind of early 2011 and was often described as the most piercing commentary of kind of Bush era America and things like that and I do wonder if that would be if there is some way to do something like that that is about the dark stuff that's going on but that could be really upbeat in some way yeah so it's I mean, it's interesting to you know it's it's kind of kind of a hard question of uh you know what do you actually want discovery to be about and it's uh it's it you, we probably don't realize what a lack of a handle we have on now in as part of a, a bigger picture because we can't possibly be objective about it then uh, uh and it's just interesting to see how it reflects back into us i mean I completely share that Brian Fuller is the most exciting writer around at the moment. That uh, I'm, so I'm eager to see what he comes up with, and I hope it's nothing to do with what I expect it might be. But so we know it's going to be approximately ten years before the original series starts. Have you heard that? Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, yeah af- so... after Enterprise and before the original series, yeah. Yeah. So I think. I mean, originally, I th- I must admit I was kind of hoping it would be the the furthest into the future of all of the series but then uh just because i wanted to see what was next and as a friend of mine said uh, that uh, he's been watching some of voyager lately and that either that's starting to look quite dated now even though that's technically the furthest mm. into the future but uh, but I, I i like you say you trust in brian fuller and hope that he um 
uh, you know, if he's chosen to set his series in that specific time, then there's a, a damn good reason as to why and a story he wants to tell there. So I think it's also that bit where we are bridging that gap because sometimes the original series seems so brilliant and we've got the Federation in order. And it's just that middle bit of, well, how do we get from where we are now to there? <laughs> how do we get to Kirk? So maybe maybe this is going to be Brian Fuller's uh, suggestions for the for the species. <laughs> where we go from here i think if that is the the reason is they want to show that bridge and that building i do think that that would be an interesting uh, an interesting commentary on our times because i feel like the next 40 or 50 years of human civilization to get maybe grand and wildly off base here i feel like that's going to be very uh, a case of amount of the world trying to move towards a like a different form of energy trying to move off of you know uh, of fossil fuels and coal and things like that is going to be about trying to prepare for the terrifying uh environmental effects of a hundred or so years of industrialization and that's going to be very very difficult it's going to be a very tough road for the next couple of generations of of people on the earth and i feel like a show that tries to make the argument that hard work and doing things that are difficult ultimately are what's important and pay off could on could honestly be more impactful than the kind of the bleak dystopias that pretty much everything sci-fi is now if you look at things like the walking dead or the hunger games mm. or kind of out and out positivity both of which i think have their place because i think it's it's good to uplift people we shouldn't just make everyone sad and depressed and there is value in seeing dystopias if if you can say this is how bad things could get let's try and avoid this but i feel there's a middle ground that culture isn't really servicing at this point yeah i mean that's the thing it would actually be yes in contrast to the hunger games and the walking dead uh an upbeat science fiction show might be the most uh, you know stand out of uh the tv schedules uh for, for for a long time I think I also think I admire your optimism there, where you said that when humanity, uh, it, what it does in the next forty to fifty years, I, I, I admire your optimism that you think we've got that long. That's uh, that's very bold. <laughs> but yeah, I, I mean, who knows what Brian Fuller's up to? He's being nicely cryptic, but uh, you know that you're going to get a diverse um, a diverse cast, which is important, uh, and also. It's interesting not only that we've got a, a female uh, lead character, but also that she's not going to be the captain of the Discovery, that she's uh, uh, a more of a sort of West Wing style senior staff member. So presumably the captain will be floating around in the background Martin Sheen style. So I think that's, a, again, <laughs> a, just a very little spin that's just in, just instantly changes everything and shakes it up a bit. So I think that's uh, already it just these little tidbits are getting me very excited for it. Yeah, that was uh, one of the things that I actually really liked about Star Trek 2009. I liked the fact that it was the cast before they became, or the, the crew before they became the crew when they were all kind of, you know, ensigns or whatever. They were all they were mm. all lower down the, the pecking order. And then it was kind of disappointing that by the end they were in charge of their own ship, um, even yeah, though that, that was probably <laughs> the only way that it was going to happen. Yes, the truncated timeline of the first film is uh, is is. In, in no shape or form a problem for the story it's telling but also it's a, a little bit that the best way to become captain of your own ship is to hope all the senior officers die basically would seem to be <laughs> kirk's technique i mean which he then hardly improved by the way he wins the uh, kobayashi maru either so but uh, maybe it works for kirk that's fine <laughs> 
yeah, as long as everything works for him, it's pretty. It works out for everyone else as long as they're not wearing a red shirt. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but like, I do like the idea of the show moving away from the people who are the leaders to maybe the people who are just trying to scramble through and get things done. Yeah, just uh, and uh, just seeing how different that is, and uh, yeah, how how yeah, if you've got Archer is this big uh, revered captain in the past, and then you know that the audience know that Kirk is to come. Just seeing who the uh, the Josh Lyman of uh, the end of the Discovery will be. <laughs> I'm not sure necessarily he'd be the best Starfleet uh, candidate, but uh, but yeah. <laughs> now I'm just imagining C.J. Craig as a captain. So I'm just going to disappear into a fantasy for a while. Okay. <laughs> That'd be fantastic. If I, I know Alison Janney's got like two other TV shows on the go at the moment because she's in Mom and she also has a recurring role in Masters of Sex. But I think if she can find a third role to be the, the captain on uh, Star Trek Discovery, I think that would make the world a better place. Yeah. It certainly it's make not, my world a better place. It's not an unenticing offer either, is it? Uh, do you want to go and be Captain Allison? That'd be okay. <laughs> Just, you know, only two episodes, you know. <laughs> Okay, uh, we'll, uh, we'll we'll kind of bring the conversation about Star Trek to a close now by talking about fam- favourite moments from the various uh, iterations of Star Trek. What are some of your ones that ha- really stick out to you, uh, John? Okay, um, so I think I, th- I probably have a lot of the favourite actual episodes to most people. Uh, things like um, The Best of Both Worlds from Next Generation. And uh, mm. although I really like Time's Arrow, the... Uh, the time traveling one that has Mark Twain in it, <laughs> with uh, as uh, as yeah. a strange strange a cameo, <laughs> but, uh, but he actually ends up saving the plot, uh, uh, saving the saving the day at the end. So I think that's one of my favorite double X. Um, I think favorite moments uh, generally. Oh, I, th- I think I think maybe the the best stuff about Next Generation that maybe you just don't get in sort of other sci-fi series except maybe Firefly it's just the, the the fun moments in 10 forward or or when they're playing cards obviously which is how the whole series ends so I think uh, it's the little social moments that actually uh, bring them together and you know that they do get on when they're not saving the galaxy from various things so I think it's that what about your favorite of all of the films any uh do you have a particular standout one or two or I mean, my favorite of the films would be Wrath of Khan, which is the one that I think is just the one that works the best. Like everything about it really functions really nicely. It's a great, uh, it's a great showcase for Ricardo Montalban, who's who's a wonderful villain. I think I like the fact that it's even though it has more of the star, it's more towards the Star Wars end of the spectrum than than the first one, than the motion picture. It is, it still has some kind of uh, intellectual discussions about the nature of. Uh, I guess the nature of of evil and to an extent kind of uh, uh, the certain degree of relativism because Khan, you can kind of see his point of view from his past and everything like that. He's not just an out and out villain. Uh, I'm a big fan of the fourth one, The Voyage Home, because I like, like you say, talking about the interplay, the interplay between the crew and stuff is really great in that one because it's a little more overtly comedic and I just like the idea of people going to save whales (laughs) and just like taking them going back in time saving them and scotty inadvertently being responsible for the entirety of the future by teaching that teaching that guy how to make the uh the, the, <laughs> reinforced the, plastic <laughs> reinforced glass uh which is which is fun 
Yeah, it's, it's just speaking of favorite moments there, it's like especially as someone a bit animal rightsy, uh, when they actually uh, when there's the whaling ship going for George and Gracie at the end, and then they they decloak in the uh, Klingon battle cruiser and sort of say, "Oi, leave the whales alone." <laughs> that that's probably got to be a moment, hasn't it, from the franchise? <laughs> so yeah, I think that's. I'd say Wrath of Khan is definitely. I don't know, joint first maybe with first contact for me as well, actually, in terms of the favorite movie. So uh, there's also one moment that. Uh, there's a great uh, McCoy moment as well, which is when I believe Chekhov is being worked on because he's he's hit his head or something, and there's mm. a surgeon, and they're they're talking about doing open uh about doing like open school surgery or whatever on him, and then he comes in and says he starts talking about trepanning or about like humors and things like that, making fun of their arcane twentieth century surgical techniques, <laughs> which is uh is hugely funny to me. In in terms of the TV, I think probably my favorite. Uh, moment of it is is probably the deep space nine episode where they go back to the original series and they drop in cisco and all the others amongst the footage of the original show which i remember watching that for the first time and being a little blown away by how well they were integrated and there's lots of funny jokes about tribbles and about the the short mini skirts of the supporting cast and things like that and how (laughs) uh, the later seasons didn't series didn't have that so much yes i think uh, yeah yeah there's some yeah, trials and tribulations. Actually, yeah, I mm, saw that one not yeah. so long ago. It, it is still amazing how how good the uh, the inter intersplicing of of the two episodes is. I think yeah, and anything with a Klingon in it's always good for a laugh as well. I think I think maybe actually yeah, a few moments of Worf generally. I think his uh, good tea, nice house uh, summary <laughs> when uh, being asked about uh, to say something nice about the aliens that they're visiting is probably something that I quote more than I realise without uh, necessarily attributing it to Star Trek anymore. <laughs> it's just something I say. <laughs> so, yeah, there's a lot of good moments, isn't it? We could probably fill an entire other podcast with our favourite moments, come to think of it. <laughs> And we usually end every episode with shot versus shot recommends, which we will also this one. Uh, what uh, culture have you enjoyed recently or related to Star Trek that you would like to recommend, John? Uh, well, um, it's a book uh, that I've enjoyed, a novel by Becky Chambers called A Long Way to a Small Angry Planet, which is uh, just a book that both my, me and my wife have really, really enjoyed. It's uh, the first first novel by... A uh, writer I uh, first enjoyed their articles on the Mary Sue and other uh, so other sort of similar sites, culture sites. But if you're in, if you enjoy the sort of ensemble of Star Trek and Firefly, it's very much a sort of diverse uh, alien and human uh, crew who are all stuck together on a long haul voyage through space. Uh, so I can strongly recommend that. It's currently nominated for the Arthur C. Clarke Award, which is in a couple of weeks. So uh, that's very much um, a book that I, I think I could recommend to most people, even those who not necessarily heading to the sci-fi section in the bookshop. It's just really driven by fun characters and humor and uh, and, a, and a really, really adorable um, AI that runs the ship. So strongly recommend that for everybody. Cool. That sounds that sounds great. Uh, I already mentioned the Star Trek oral history the mm. uh the 50-year mission which i'll recommend to people it's very very fun it's very detailed and uh it's i think for people who aren't as familiar with the show like i mainly know the 90s uh, renditions of the show it's really interesting to see all these people talk about like i said the difficulties and the highs and the lows of it all and it's also because it's constructed between a mixture of new interviews with you know the the surviving cast members of the original series and all the various members of the the 
the different subsequent shows and also because it's the, the the two guys who wrote it were interviewed people like Gene Roddenberry and Leonard Nimoy and, and all these people when they were live in their various roles working writing for science fiction magazines they have lots of quotes and stories from some of these people who are sadly no longer around to tell them so it's very it gives a very kind of um kaleidoscopic view of the series and its impact and it's it's usually entertaining and really really fascinating to kind of delve into whether or not you're a huge fan of the of the show and it helps if you are but i think that for people who aren't as familiar uh it's very good at getting across what makes star trek as a franchise really unique and what has allowed it to uh prosper for 50 for 50 years wow fantastic that's i i'm definitely going to check that one out as well there was um, a fun series of books called These Are the Voyages that actually did each of the original series in terms of the behind the scenes interviews and archive uh, uh, interviews and so on. Uh, for each of uh, each book covered uh, just one season of the original series. So that definitely goes into uh, very, very minute detail about just exactly what it took to get that show on screen. So uh, that also sounds like a, a similar, similar sort of field for it and just entirely... Just, getting into the nuts and bolts of it i've been meaning to check those out as well but uh i didn't i didn't feel like i had the money to go after all of the books so it's nice to get <laughs> one that kind of collapses it all into one um but uh, i'll definitely try and uh, i'll try and check those out at, at some point when uh, i have hours free <laughs> when <laughs> yeah. i'm not constantly sat in front of a computer okay uh, that was the the episode on star trek everyone thank you for listening as always you can find us at srspodcast.com you can find us on twitter srs underscore podcast and on facebook uh, if you enjoy the show please review us and rate us it helps more people find us and it's just a nice thing to do you know try and be nice be positive and uh, as always we'll be back next week with a new topic matt will be back from his holiday and we'll be talking about uh, currently our plan is to talk about method acting and how it's terrible or how it has become terrible uh, in light of a recent blockbuster that uh, highlights it. Uh, but until then, it's goodbye from me. And it's goodbye from me as well. Thanks very much for having me this weekend. Uh, thanks for doing it. It's, it was uh, it was really fun. And it's goodbye from me. <laughs> <laughs>